0: Good morning, Gateway family. What a joy to be with you again this Sunday morning here in our sanctuary. We're so blessed to have the technology to be able to, to gather together here together and to worship the Lord, to declare his word, to spend time in prayer and unity as the body of Christ. And so we're just so excited to be able to come again this week. And there's two special things that we want to announce uh, that are very important this week uh, in the life of our body. And the first thing is... Many of you were given uh, the email that was sent out by Pastor Grady regarding Secret Church this Friday night. Um, it's going called God, the Government, and the Gospel. And uh, the significance of this, and why we want to remind you of this this morning, is because we forgot to put a little side note in there, is that you do not have to watch the entire six-hour event this coming Friday evening. Uh, Secret Church and David Platt are allowing us Everyone in the country and in the world to have the opportunity to watch those six hours over a period of time at your leisure by using the email um, address that we sent you with the username and password that you're able to watch those six hours over a period of time at your leisure at uh, whatever's convenient for you. And the reason I'm bringing that up is we've already sent many of our guides out to many of our folks here in our body. Um, But I would like you to know we have many, many left. We would love to be able to get these into your hands so you're able to watch this at your leisure over the next couple months as you see fit. And so please let us know. If you'd please email us at office at gatewaybaptist.com. That's office at gatewaybaptist.com. We would be able to get the guide to you. And if you do not have the username and password, just let us know. We will be able to get that email to you as well. And again, it's God, the gospel, and government. It's just a great timing. For us to be able to hear this and, uh, David Platt had this last year already in place and it's just neat to see God's providence in the timing of this topic that we can enjoy together. Also want to let you know as Pastor Grady these past few weeks have been talking a lot about the attributes of God. Um, he's done an amazing job over the past uh, week or so by putting together on our blog at GatewayBaptist.com, uh, the opportunity for all of you to go there and on one page He has put together all the audio teachings as well as the notes of all the attributes that he taught the first year he was here. So it's a great opportunity for you to go deeper into the word, deeper into who God is. And he is providing an opportunity for all of you to enjoy that with the audio teachings and the notes. So that will be on the blog this week. So as we begin this morning, we want to declare the word of the Lord before we spend a time of worship and praise to the Lord. So I'm going to be reading from Psalms chapter 8. And crown him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to worship you, to praise you, to... Be taught by your word, Lord, to worship the God of all creation, the God who has all dominion, the God who is everything is in subjection to your feet, God. You have all power and all authority. So we thank you for the opportunity to come together as your your body, as your bride, to worship you, to praise you, and to give the honor that's due you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together. Oh, my. opportunity that we can come this morning and worship you in song thank you lord so much for our worship team for ashley and just their faithfulness to come and lead us each week lord into your presence god you're so good you're so faithful you're so loving and kind and lord even as what we just declared it's so wonderful to be able to come up here and pray confidently knowing we're praying to a god who is so faithful who's trustworthy and good who knows it's going to act on our prayers. And God, we can trust these things to you, knowing you're in full control, our sovereign king. So Lord, we we do each week, and Lord, we're going to continue to come, as you say, to ask and seek and knock. God, we pray, as we have for the past few weeks, for mercy upon mercy in this situation. As our nation, as our city, as our world is struggling in this pandemic. God, we pray for protection. We pray for healing. Specifically, Lord, for our Gateway family. All over the city and in the river region. In so many positions of jobs and situations where they may be exposed. God, we just pray for your mercy to cover each of us, Lord, and protect us. Lord, we pray for Ashley and Janie Fox and all the other nurses that are daily um, in the hospitals. And putting their life on the line, sacrificing their time as first responders in the hospitals and clinics. And Dr. Moore and others that are helping people and treating people on a daily basis. God, we pray for their protection you would watch over them Lord and just continue to use them as your hands and feet in this time Lord also continue to let us be salt and light whatever spheres of influence you have us in, in our communities, with our families our loved ones as we're doing things through social media or Zoom that others are still struggling with fear and worry and doubt but God give us opportunities to show our faith, to share our faith God to be able to be your ambassadors and show people what the hope of Christ is all about, that we do not need to fear but put our trust in you And Lord, we thank you and ask you, God, for your continued wisdom for our president, for our government leaders. God, I cannot even imagine the weight that is upon them. As each day they're literally battling and making decisions based on life and death. We just pray that your supernatural wisdom would fall and guide and direct their steps for the benefit of all things and for your glory. Lord, we continue to thank you. We've heard this week uh, that there's been provision and resources made available to Pastor Mark through donations and people giving, that they've been able to provide a 100 families with rice, oil, and beans. And God, we just pray you continue to protect Pastor Mark, them physically, spiritually, emotionally, he and his family, those within his church as they're going out into the community, in the hills, the mountains, the villages, to be salt and light, to be your hands and feet, to show the love of Christ. We pray, God, protection over them. Thank you for your provision. To be able to bless them with what they need to provide food for these families. And then the gospel will come. Knowing Pastor Mark so clearly, God, your gospel will be shared so they will see the love of Jesus. And Lord, again, thank you for the opportunity to pray for these unreached peoples. Even in this time of this pandemic going on, going on, Lord, we thank you we can lift up the, Kanaka, the Kanakaran of Southern India. This individual people group or the southern coastal region of India, they're in the hills. And Lord, we just know from their Hinduism that they worship many gods and goddesses. They even make sacrifices to them in this community. And Lord, we just pray for those Indian Christians that are in the south there, God, just stir their hearts, draw them to this people group. First and foremost, that in their native land, Christians would go to reach the Kanakarman people. And Lord, also stir in the hearts of mission organizations that they would strategize those in that area and try to reach this people group with the gospel. And Lord, just whatever you see fit supernaturally to get in there, whether it's through other literature or the Jesus film or any other capabilities, Lord, we pray your gospel would be known among this tribal people. Lord, we continue to thank you so much for our shepherd, for Grady, Lord, for his faithfulness, for guiding us each week into truth as he studies so faithfully. Lord, we thank you. We're getting back into James this week and And just hearing from your heart, God, is how we approach life um, and how we live out our faith and walk out our faith in this pagan society that we live in. How we can walk by faith with you even during this time. So, God, give him strength this morning. Encourage him. Enlighten him. Give him energy and wisdom, Lord, that he will speak your words of truth. Lord, we just, again, thank you so much just for who you are and the opportunity to come together this morning all across the city to join together as a family of faith. We praise you, we honor you, we glorify you. We say, have your way as your word comes forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Well, good morning, Gateway family. I am so glad to get to greet you this morning. I hope you are still thinking about what we celebrated last Sunday, still thinking about the resurrection and the hope that we have in that. I hope you're still in awe of God's love for us that was displayed in what we saw on Easter Sunday. And I hope, friends, in the midst of all the uncertainty of these days in which we find ourselves, that you're finding hope and peace and joy because of what Christ has done for you. Now, Gateway family, I'm really excited because this morning we are getting back into our study of the letter of James in the New Testament. Now, if you're new to Gateway online during the season of the coronavirus, what we typically do here is verse-by-verse teaching through entire books of the Bible. And the reason we do that is we, I want us to see all that God has for us. If we start the first verse of a book and go all the way to the end of that book, we see all of God's will for us. Not just the topics that make us feel good, not just the easy things, not just the things that I like to teach on. We get to see the whole counsel of God's word. We've done that over the last several years with the Gospel of John. We've done that with the letter of the Ephesians. We've done that through 27 of the Psalms. And now over the 10 weeks before the coronavirus situation began, we've been doing that through the letter of of James and I'm excited that we get to pick back up there this morning. So once you find in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible out James chapter 1 this morning as we come to the end of James chapter one, the last two verses. Now while you're finding James 1 I just want to remind you of what we have seen because it's been a while since we've been in this particular letter. This book was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And even though James grew up in the same household with Jesus, he did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah until after the resurrection, until after what we celebrated last Sunday. After his experience post-resurrection, James was forever transformed and changed by Jesus. And he became one of the leaders in the early church and had a huge influence over the early church. This letter that we're studying this morning and that we'll continue to study for the months to come is the oldest book in the New Testament. It is written to Christians from a Jewish background and Christians who are facing incredible trials and incredible hardships. These are people who were persecuted for their faith, who had to flee from their homes in Jerusalem because of the persecution. They had to scatter across the Mediterranean region and they were starting over in new places really with nothing. They were hated by other Jews because they now believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They were hated by the Gentiles because of racial prejudice, just simply because they were Jews. They were oppressed and they were mostly poor. And so James is really burdened for these friends, these other believers, who are now scattered all over the region. And so he writes this letter to encourage them and to help them. But his burden for them and his desire to help them was not for them to get out of their hard circumstances. His desire was to help them live out their faith in the midst of the hardships in which they found themselves. And so to help them, he addresses many topics that we saw over the first 10 weeks of our study. He shows them how to have peace in the trials. He shows them how to seek God for wisdom. He shows them how to not hope in riches, but to set their minds on eternity. He shows them how to resist temptation, how to celebrate all the blessings they have from God, how to speak like followers of Christ. And the last thing we saw right before the coronavirus situation hit is that he showed them that they needed to be doers of the word. And not hears only. How to seek God's grace to live out their faith. Now friends, today we come to the end of chapter 1. The last two verses of this chapter. And it's really a great summary. What a great place for us to jump back into our study of James. Because in these two verses, James is going to address what real faith looks like. If the theme of this whole book is how to walk in faith and how to live out your faith, then it's important to know, do we really even have that faith that he is talking about? So if you look at these two verses this morning, I want you to be looking for how do we know if we have real faith? How do we know if we have real faith? If you're able where you are from home to stand, please, would you stand, please, in honor of the reading of the word of God, the precious truth that God has given to us? James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue... But deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Would you pray with me, friends? Father God, we are so thankful for your love for us. We're so thankful in your love for us. You've given us your word to show us who you are and who we are and how to know you. And I pray this morning as we look at what genuine faith is, that, God, that you would open our eyes to the wonders of the gift we have received from you. Brothers, any who are listening who do not have faith in you, a transforming, genuine, real faith, that you would open their eyes to that this day. And for those who have faith in you, I pray today that you would encourage them, that they would be made more steadfast in knowing what you've done for them, and also seeing how your desire is to keep growing them in that faith. So have your way as we study your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be seated now. So how do we know if we have real faith, friends? Well, to answer that question, we have to first look at the warning that James gives us here. There's a danger that we need to be aware of, and that danger is that we can be deceived about the reality of our spiritual state. Friends, we can be deceived and think we're okay with God when we're not. People can think they have faith when they really do not. Look back at verse 26 here. If anyone thinks he is religious... Now, just stop on that phrase. That means, friends, there is a real possibility that a person can have a wrong opinion, a wrong judgment, a wrong assessment about their own spiritual state. It means it's very possible to think they are okay with God, that they have faith, when they really do not. And why? It's because they're looking at their external religious practices. Notice the word here, religious. If anyone thinks he is religious, that word is simply a broad word that means external religious expressions. That means people can evaluate their relationship with God simply based on external religious things they have done. Now, in our culture, what that often looks like is is people who are evaluating their status before God because they think they've prayed a certain prayer, because they walked down the aisle and shook a pastor's hand, because they got baptized, because they go to church, because they serve, because they have a quiet time. There's a whole list of things that we can plug in there that are all, none of that's wrong, but it's external religious things that people are basing their confidence in. And the warning from James chapter one here is you can do all those things and not have real faith. And look at how he says this in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, notice his next phrase, but deceives his heart. This is sobering. That means that there are people who do external religious things, who outwardly people would say, oh, yes, they're a follower of Jesus. But they've deceived their heart. They are self-deceived. Now, this is not the only place you see this in the scripture. We looked at this a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating here because of where we are. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, listen to what Jesus says about the reality that people can be deceived about their spiritual state. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, verse 22, and notice what people are basing their confidence in. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Friends, it's all too easy to evaluate our status before God and be deceived in doing so because we're basing it on these external religious things. But Friends, that type of self-deceit has disastrous consequences. In the very next verse of Matthew 7, we see that in verse 23. And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And James is saying the same thing here. If we go back to James chapter 1, verse 26, we see a very similar idea. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. Now, notice this this person's religion is worthless. Now, this word worthless is the exact same word we looked at last week on Easter Sunday in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, where Paul says to the people in Corinth if there is no resurrection, your faith is futile. Well, in Greek, the word futile is the exact same word that's translated here, worthless. Both words mean lacking in effect, lacking in result, pointless. It creates no change. So he's saying here in verse 26, if you think you're religious, but it's not changing you in any way, your religion, your outward expressions that you're so confident, they are worthless. They are futile. They are pointless. They're not going to make any difference. Now, friends, remember, he's writing to People who confess to be believers. He's writing to the early church here. That means there was a possibility then, just as there is a possibility now, that people in the church think they're okay with God because they're looking at all these external religious things they're doing. But James is telling them and Jesus is telling them that you need to search your heart because that is not the evaluation of things. You can be religious and not have saving faith. Well, that raises the question for us, friends. What then is real faith? Which would be no surprise to us if you've been around Gateway a while because we've seen the answer to what is real faith when we studied John, when we studied Ephesians. We've seen it here in James so far. Friends, real faith is not coming from anything we do. Real faith is not the result of any external things we do. Whether it's church involvement or praying certain prayers, that's not what gives us faith, friends. If you want a main idea of the text this morning, it's simply this, that, friends, real faith is a gift from God that transforms us. What is real faith? Real faith is a gift that we receive from God, and it will change us. It will transform us. Where do we see this? Well, we've got to go back to the context. Go back up to verse 18 of chapter 1. If you look back at verse 18, this is what James says. Of his, this is God, of his, God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I want to remind us, because it's been a while since we saw that verse, when you see this phrase in here, of his own will, he brought us forth. In the Greek, that's a causal participle. That means it shows us the reason why something exists or the reason why something is there. That means, friends, the reason why you and I have faith is not because of anything externally we have done, but the reason why we have faith is simply the grace of God, of his own will, for his own choosing, that God in his mercy and grace has looked upon undeserving sinners like us, and he's chosen in his kindness to us and for his glory To give us the gift of faith. To make us his children. He chose to do so through, as it says here in verse 18, through the word of truth. And if you remember, that's what we talked about last week. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Through that message, God opens our eyes to believe it and receive it. He gives us, friends, the gift Of faith, so friends, how do we know if we have real faith? Well, it starts by realizing that we can't earn it. We simply receive what God has given to us. If we're trusting in things we're doing for our standing before God, then we're lacking in real faith. Real faith is us receiving what only God can give to us. But friends, real faith also is something that will transform us. And so, another test for us is not just, "Am I trusting that God is giving it to me?" But is it changing me? Is it making a difference? In our lives. because you see, you see, friends, when we receive faith from God, He gives us a new nature. He changes our heart. He changes our affections. He changes our desires. He makes us into a new creature. And He gives us His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And so, this whole book of James that shows us how to walk in faith, this is not a book about us trying hard. This is not white knuckle determination of we need to try harder to get close to God. This is a book that calls us to realize our identity in Christ. To realize what God has already done for us. To realize that he's changed our nature and now to seek his grace to live out how he already sees us. So we look at these parts of verses 26 and 27 that show us practically what real faith looks like. This is not a list of three things for us to do to get to God. This is not a list of things we do to gain faith. But rather this is to say if we've received faith from God, If God's grace is at work in our life, this is the fruit, this is the result that we will see because God is at work in what he is doing here. This is a picture force of a life that has been changed by God's grace more and more and more as a person walks with God and experiences his grace day by day as the years of our life progress. So what does a life changed by God's grace look like? Well, James gives us three examples here. These three examples, friends, are not designed to be comprehensive. There's many other parts of what it looks like to be transformed by God's grace in our lives. But these are to be illustrative of what faith looks like and how it transforms different areas of our life. As we look briefly at the three things here that James mentions, he shows these to us almost like a test to help us see, do we really have saving faith? So the question for you and for me as we read this text is, are we seeing our faith in God? Are we seeing God's grace at work in our life producing these changes in us because we belong to him? So let's look at these three things that are indications that God is at work in our lives, that we do have real faith. Number one, if we have real faith from God, God's grace will change our speech. God's grace will change our speech. Now, we're going to see a lot more of this. This is a big theme throughout James. We saw a little bit, a few verses before. We'll see a lot more of this when we get to chapter 3 in a few months here. But I want you to see the glimpse of it right here. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Friends, one mark of true faith in God is that more and more as we walk with God, God is refining our speech. As the Holy Spirit dwells in us, He's controlling our speech. And the image here is absolutely fascinating here. It uses the image of bridling our tongue. Now, the image of bridling comes from horses, which is an incredible thought here, that you have a 1,500-pound horse full of strength and energy, and it can be controlled by a little bridle, a bit that gets put into the horse's mouth. And with that bridle and that bit in the horse's mouth, the person riding the horse can control the direction of the horse and the speed of the horse and all those type things. It's a picture for us bridling of restraint and control. And that's exactly what James is painting a picture for us here, is that If we have true faith in God, if we're experiencing the grace of God, then God's not going to leave us where we are with a loose tongue to say whatever we want to say. He's going to be bridling our tongues. He's going to be more and more as we walk with him controlling our tongues, turning our speech away from things that displease him, like lying and deception and anger and yelling and hurtful words and gossip and even the need to feel like we have to be heard. He's turning us away from those things and turning us to what we already saw some weeks back in verse 19 to make us quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's an indication that we have genuine faith when God is transforming our speech patterns. And friends, this is a very timely reminder for us. As the coronavirus trial lingers and weeks continue to pass in this, we need to ask ourselves, what does our speech show? And let me just remind us, When he's talking about speech here, this includes what we write as well. And yes, friends, that means what we post on social media as well falls under this idea of speech here also. Is our speech or our words or our posts on social media things that are tearing down people who disagree with us, blasting politicians, blasting leaders, or there's speech that's full of worry and fear and anxiety and panic, friends, or are we seeing our genuine faith in God transforming our speech patterns, giving us control, giving us restraint, turning us from... Fear and panic and worry to turning us to praying for others and praying for our leaders and turning us to using our words to encourage others and point others to Christ. You see, friends, as the Holy Spirit who dwells within us if we're a child of God. As he works in us, he convicts us when our speech patterns are not what God wants them to be. He directs us to how to use our tongues for God's purpose. And he encourages us to keep seeking the grace of God to do so. So what James is showing us here, this real faith is a gift from God. And if we have real faith, one evidence is that we will see more and more as the years pass God transforming our speech. There's a second area to where genuine faith shows transformation in our life. And the second way is it changes our desire to help others. It changes our desire to help others. It grows in us a desire to help other people. And look at verse 27 now. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now we see orphans and widows, you'll see this phrase used a lot throughout the Bible. These are two groups mentioned all throughout scripture as groups that God especially is concerned for and God cares for. In fact, in Psalm 68, God is called the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. God is burdened for these groups because they represent at two ends of society people who are needy, who are vulnerable, who cannot change their circumstances, who cannot even help themselves, and they need assistance. These groups are dear to God. And so it's no surprise that all throughout Scripture, God calls his people to care for these groups, to care for the vulnerable around them, to care for the needy around them, those who are in need of help. And again, these groups are used in a way representative. Yes, we care for orphans and widows. but We also care for any other group that is needy and in need help of God's grace and in need help of physical provision. And so one of the indications James is saying of true faith is that our desire to serve others begins to align with what God wants us to do. He begins to grow in us this desire to care for these people that God himself cares for. He grows in us a heart to obey his commands, to care for the needy around us. I want you to notice something here in verse 27. We cannot do this from a distance. Yes, friends, it's good for us to give money to churches and ministries that help widows and orphans, that help people in need. But he's calling for us to personally get involved. Look at verse 27 again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to, notice the next word here, is what? To visit orphans and widows. The the verb visit here implies personal involvement. That God is calling us to put our lives into other people's lives, to walk with them as they face hardships, to show kindness to them, and to personally be involved in helping meet their needs. Friends, this is a very timely test of faith for us as we continue to walk through the coronavirus trial. As the weeks go on, this trial lingers. We're hearing more and more of people with needs, people in their own body and people within the community as well, whose work has slowed down, whose work has completely stopped, people who are widows who are having trouble getting their essential supplies and groceries. Foster care systems are being overwhelmed and needing families to take in children. We could go on and on. The needs are growing and mounting all around us in our body and in the community because of the trial that we're currently walking through. So is a timely test of faith for us. If our faith in God is real, we'll find God more and more burdening our hearts and challenging us to step out and look for the needs around us and seek to personally invest in meeting those needs to serve other people. Real faith, friend, is a gift from God that transforms us. It transforms our speech by restraining it. It transforms our heart, affections towards other people, and wanting to care for them. But there's a third way that James highlights here as an example of how true faith changes us. And that third way is it changes our view of sin. True faith changes our view of sin. The more we walk with God, we will see the Holy Spirit within us more and more as we walk with God, as we experience His grace. We'll see him turning our hearts where we long to walk in holiness before him, to where we love our sin no more, to where we have a desire to run away from it. Look at verse twenty-seven again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And we see the world the word world here in Scripture. It's a word that's used to describe the perspective and the lifestyle of ...of non-Christians. It's the way of thinking of those who are not part of God's family... ...of those who do not follow Christ. It refers to their thinking and their behavior. So it tells us that we're to be unstained. We're to keep ourselves unstained from the world. It tells us that we're to be set apart. We're to be different than the way the world thinks. We're to be different than the way the world lives. That means that as we're walking with God, if we have true faith, He is giving us a desire... ...to not fall into all the myriad of temptations that come our way. To guard what we think... To guard what we say, to be wise in our entertainment choices, to be pure in our sexuality, to guard what we look at online, to be above reproach in our finances, to seek to love and serve our spouses and to care for them and guard the integrity of our marriages and to pursue oneness only with our spouse, to discipline and disciple our children well. All these things that the temptation bombard us to take us away from God's plan, if we have real faith, we will find more and more the desire to seek God's grace to obey him in all of these things. Friends, again, this is a timely reminder for us. As the coronavirus trial goes on week after week, as we find our situations changing, many of you have more downtime and more free time and more alone time than you've ever had before. Many of you have less people looking over the shoulders. you're working from home and you have more privacy around you. And so the question becomes, if we have real faith in Jesus Are we going to see God's grace changing us to where we want to be above reproach in all things? Even if no one is looking, do we have the desire to do what is right? When only God sees in our boss and no one else might ever know, do we have the desire to do what is right? If we do follow, do we find conviction from God as he pursues us? Do we find a desire to walk with him? Friends, real faith is a gift from God. Yes, faith is belief. Yes, faith is believing that God is who he says he is. Yes, faith is believing that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Yes, faith is believing that eternal life awaits us because we are in Christ. Faith is all that, but friends, we must not miss that faith also is transformative. That if we are God's child, he will be pursuing us in his love to make us more and more like Christ. So real faith is a faith that will show itself outwardly in our lives because it will change us. As soon as we use the word, it will sanctify us. That means it grows us in godliness. It does so in our speech, by restraining our speech. It does so in our concern for others, by giving us a heart to serve others in need. It does so in our view of sin, giving us a holy hatred of sin in our life and a longing to seek God's grace to obey him in all things. And friends, it does so in so many other ways as well. So I want to ask you this morning, friends, Do you have a real faith in Jesus? If so, friends, how is it changing you? Friends, our growth in Godliness is a process. None of us have arrived. All of us struggle with sin. All of us struggle with temptation. All of us struggle with our speech. All of us struggle to be concerned with others. All of us struggle in different ways in particular areas of holiness. None of us have arrived yet. But if we're in Christ and we have genuine faith, God will keep pursuing us. So, friends, I want to ask you, how has God grown you this year, how have you seen him growing you in holiness and godliness? How is your faith transforming you this year? My friends, in particular, over the last four weeks of the coronavirus, how has God been changing you? Because even the trial we walk through is something that God will use to grow us. Do you remember when we started this study in James more than 14 weeks ago? Do you remember one of the early verses in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4? He told us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, how can we find joy in the trials? If you remember back, he tells us in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In the sovereign hands of our almighty God, he takes the not good things of this life and the brokenness of this life, and he uses it to grow our faith, to grow us in Godliness, to mature us and to make us more steadfast and more like Christ. So, friends, how in this coronavirus trial, how in the last month have you seen God growing you, sanctifying you, changing your speech, changing your view of sin, changing how you care about other people in need? Friends, God's desire is, so, is to love us in such a way as to not to leave us where we are. But to keep growing us, and He pursues us. So when we fall short in His love, He convicts us. In His love, He disciplines. In His love, He teaches us and guides us and grows us to make us who He wants us to be. Friends, can I ask you this morning? Is that your story? Is your story the story of a life that's being transformed because you've received the gift of God's grace? He's given you faith, and He's transforming you as He works in you. If not, friends, what hinders you from that? What keeps you from running to your Creator? With open arms and saying, God, I believe in you. Change me. I want to follow you. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. What keeps you from running to him in that? Friends, if your life was a story of genuine faith, that you know who you believe in, and you know what Christ has done for you, and you know that your eternal future is sure, and you can see the fruit of your life, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you, because the Holy Spirit was in you, and you see the fruit that he produces. Friends, rejoice in that this morning but realize he's not done with you yet. So can I challenge you this week that if you know you have this genuine faith that has changed you, can I challenge you this week to pray a simple prayer? To pray it right now, but then to pray it all week long. Somebody say, God, what areas of my life do you still want to grow me? Just to in humility, talk to your heavenly father about it. Say, God, your desire is to make me more mature. Your desire is to make me more Christ-like. Lord, what are the areas of my life that need growth right now? And to wait on him. Because, friends, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit within you will show you areas of unconfessed sin. There may be sin strongholds you know of that you've been clinging to. There may be areas of blind spots you're not even aware of. But, friends, if we, as God's children who he loves so much, cry out to him and say, God, show me areas where you still want to grow me. Friends, he will answer. His Holy Spirit within us will convict us. His word will convict us. And we will find the desire that he gives to grow and the grace we need to obey. Friends, real faith as a gift from God that transforms us. And I pray that this week that would be your story and mine, that would be anchored no matter what's happening around us in our faith in God and when we see the fruit of that faith in God as he continues to grow us and make us more and more into who he wants us to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your incredible love for us. A love that is so great that not only will you save us and rescue us from our sins, but God, you desire to rescue us from the power of sin in our lives and the way you pursue us and convict us and guide us to make us more and more like Christ. And I pray this week, God, that we would just cherish that love of yours that pursues us, that disciplines us, that guides us, that corrects us. And Lord, from my life and the life of these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, would you show us this week areas to where... We're not being sanctified like we should. Would you, in your grace and your mercy to us, Lord, show us blind spots in our lives or convict us of areas that we've been excusing and justifying when we know they displease you? And God, would this week, will we find fresh conviction of sin? Will we find fresh measures of your grace to view our lives the way you do? Fresh desires in our heart to want to walk with you. And, And Father, just fresh strength from you, from the Holy Spirit within us to find the strength we need to walk away and find that way out of every temptation, And Lord, as you sanctify us this week, I pray that our lives will be full of joy. And God, you'll get all the glory for doing what only you can do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Gateway family, we want to close this morning by singing about that incredible goodness of God. Will you join us in singing this closing song from your home? Father, we are so thankful in the truth we've just sung, that your goodness is running after us. And I pray this week we'd experience that, of you running after us and doing us what we could never accomplish on our own. I once again pray for these precious brothers and sisters that in the midst of all the uncertainty around us, that, God, that you would be their anchor, their hope, their peace, their joy. And God, that their faith in you would make such a difference that around them, the non-believers would notice the peace they have and the joy they have and the hope they have. And they would ask questions. God, would you make us all ready to give an answer for the hope we have in us so that your kingdom might spread and your name be known all across Montgomery as you redeem these tough situations for your glory and for our good. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday
2: afternoon. It's running up to me.